Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're glad you're here. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and all are welcome here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine within every person. And it's in that spirit that I invite you to turn to your left and to your right and to greet the holy among us. In Unitarian Universalist churches, it's a tradition to light our chalice as a symbol of our faith to start our services. So I invite you to say with me the words for lighting our chalice, which are printed in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Come into this place of worship where we live our values and our mission together. Transcendence, to connect with wonder and awe of the unity of life. Community, to connect with joy, sorrow, and service with those whose lives we touch. Compassion, to treat ourselves and others with love. Courage, to live lives of honesty, vulnerability, and beauty. Transformation to pursue the growth that changes our lives and heals our world. Come into this place that, through our values, we make sacred together. As Unitarian Universalists, we're allergic to creedal statements. We don't have one set of beliefs that we all sign on to, so it sometimes raises the question, well, what holds us together as a religious community? Well, with our larger Unitarian Universalist movement, we have a set of principles and sources that we draw from. And here at this church, we have a set of values that you see on your screen that we share. And out of those values comes our mission. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning is entitled Paradox. I am in the leaves glowing green from backlit sun. I am in the freshly mown grass, and I flow throughout all in drops of water. I expand through distant galaxies and rise upon stormy winds. And yet I am not. I am one and many. Here, where time has no meaning, or perhaps all times exist at once. Here where place has no meaning, and yet it is possible to exist in all places at once. And yet I am not. I cease melting into nothingness, and yet into everything. I know the heart of the raven and the swift reflexes of the dolphin, even as these two blend into the whole. Light, darkness, movement, stillness, glowing fires, freezing snow, hurricane, blizzard, stones, mountains, sand, oceans, unity, I am. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. Breathing in and breathing out. 
we go to that spirit of love and life inside of us, that spark of the divine, breathing in, breathing out. We know a compassion that radiates beyond these walls to the folks in Mexico suffering after the storm, the folks here in our own state suffering because of the floods. Breathing in, breathing out together, we enter a time of silence together, knowing that the sound of young children and babies count as silence in this congregation. Breathing together, let us enter the sacred silence together. Several years ago, I was serving on the board here at the church. This is before I went to seminary. And we were in the middle of a series of sessions within the congregation to discern what are now our values and our mission. The folks had on the board had gone through one of the sessions first, and our job after that was to listen deeply as other members of the congregation participated in the process. I'll never forget the first session where I showed up to listen. I showed up in Housen Hall on a Saturday morning to see a group of folks who I knew were all self-identified atheists. Now, I also knew from having already done the workshop that a big part of it was sharing our experiences of the holy. So I was kind of thinking to myself, huh, I wonder how this is going to work. 20 minutes later, we were passing around boxes of tissue as people told of times when they had felt connected to something larger than themselves. They had experienced awe and wonder. Their hearts had grown larger. So there sat our group of atheists in a church fellowship hall, dabbing tears from their eyes over sharing experiences of the holy. It was beautiful and moving. And yeah... It was holy. What this exercise did was to help us determine what values we had in common as revealed through these experiences, as well as to reclaim that word holy for ourselves. Then, combining these values with the results from some other exercises we did, the board was to suggest what the congregation held as its key purpose or mission. That's how we got the statement that we still have on our wall and still say together every Sunday. I start with that story because I don't think we talk about our values as often as we do our mission, nor do we talk about how both came to be, that the values came first, the mission emerged out of the values. It'll be important to remember that process as we live out and continue to assess our values and mission as we grow into our future. So this morning, I'm starting a series of sermons on each of our five religious values, starting with the one we list first, because, you know, transcendence in 20 minutes or less. Easy, no problem. I actually do think it's important that we start with our religious value of transcendence, because I think there are good reasons that we ended up citing it first. Here's one of them. 
After those sessions I just told you about, we compiled the number of times each value was expressed by folks in the congregation and created one of those word art graphics where the ones that were mentioned the most often were shown in the largest font size, perhaps partially as a result of the way the sessions were structured. This is what we got. Transcendence and related words people had used to describe their experiences of it was clearly the largest in the graphic. Now, I think it's important to talk about what folks meant by transcendence. One meaning of the word can be to overcome, to rise above, and certainly we do, for instance, try to transcend oppression through our social justice efforts. What people were talking about here, though, was more about their experience of transcendence, an experience outside of their day-to-day experience of life, an awe and wonder at the unity of life. Science has begin, begun to examine some of these types of experiences and has found that what people label as transcendent experience varies as to what seems to cause it, the exact nature of the experience, and the degree of intensity. But there does seem to be a common set of characteristics to these experiences. They include, one, a sense of belonging and connectedness with others and with all of creation. Two, Closely related to this, a sense of both dissolution of self and a flowing out or expansion outward toward a sense of unity with all that is. Three, an alteration of one's normal sense of space and time. Four, an ability to accept paradox. And finally, a perception of beneficial change in perspective and behavior afterwards. Now, these characteristics that I just listed are remarkably similar to exactly what our folks in Housen Hall on that Saturday morning said when they were describing their own experiences. Here's another reason why I don't think it's all that surprising that transcendence emerged as a value so strongly here at the church. While as Unitarian Universalists, we do come out of a tradition that has certainly always had a strong element of rationality and reason, So, too, has our tradition always contained a strain of finding truth and beauty through personal experience. And now these two things can sometimes be at odds with each other. Our transcendentalist forebearers provide the obvious example. In the late 1800s, people like Ralph Waldo Emerson and Theodore Parker got themselves into trouble not just with the conservatives of their time, but their fellow Unitarians also by saying things like, well... The miracles ascribed to Jesus in the Bible, those didn't literally happen. Reason says that doesn't make any sense. Parker even went on to say that true religion would exist even if it turned out that Jesus had never lived. Try telling that to a fundamentalist even today. And then run away very, very quickly. But the transcendentalists were also reacting against a sort of overly rational, dry worship and preaching style of the Unitarians of their time. They found it devoid of personal spiritual experience. Emerson even left his ministry and found what he clearly describes as transcendental experiences through self-reflection and nature. He wrote, Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, 
All mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part and particle of God. I've always thought that was a beautiful passage. Well, except for that transparent eyeball part. That's just kind of weird, isn't it? But he did go on to explain that as, I am nothing. I see all. And that sounds very similar to that sense of both dissolution of self and flowing or expansion outward toward a sense of unity that I mentioned earlier. Now, this influence is with us even today. Our Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations lists six sources from which we draw spirituality and meaning. The very first source is stated like this. Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. And I think Emerson also handed down to us another tradition, and that tradition is to push back against the idea of a hierarchical or vertical transcendence, wherein our experience of it can only occur through a God who is up there somewhere and can only be mediated by the institution of the church or its religious authorities. That's how the little Southern Baptist church we went to when I was a kid was... God existed in some elevated holy realm while we sinners wallowed down in the physical realm. The preacher and the deacons at the front of the church were holier than the rest of us, so we weren't allowed to go up there unless it was to get saved. Or, I guess if we worked on the cleaning crew. The communion was brought to us lowly ones down in the pews. Now, even as a kid, I didn't like this. So one Sunday when I was six years old, the time in the service came where you could go up front and said, say that you had been saved that day. So up I went and got saved. I don't remember having any transcendent experience of Jesus washing my sins clean or anything like that. I think I just wanted to be up there with the holier-than-thou people, the cool kids. And please, no cracks in the receiving line about me later becoming a minister. Emerson believed in a very this-worldly God that, to oversimplify it a bit, was both the unity of all things and that also existed within all things. There was a spark of the divine in each of us, so we didn't necessarily need a church to experience transcendence. Jerome Stone, a current-day Unitarian Universalist theologian, takes this a step further by removing God from the experience altogether. From a religious perspective he calls religious naturalism, Stone speaks of these experiences as horizontal rather than vertical transcendence. He gives two examples. He tells a story of a time that he had just gotten a phone call letting him know that his dad had died His daughter, who was eight at the time, came into the room and saw him slumped into a chair, and she asked him what was the matter. He told her. She went over to the chair, climbed in, hugged him, and said, Oh, Daddy. Stone says he had that experience of transcendence as is typically described, only its source was the gift of love and comfort offered by his daughter rather than the grace of some god. 
Likewise, he tells of having another of these experiences during the late 1960s. He was participating in weekly marches to demand a housing ordinance for racial equality in the city where he was busily attending graduate school. He said that he felt this transcendent pull to do so by a moral demand. But again, that transcendent moral demand wasn't coming from some god. It was coming from an internal sense of ethics and compassion. Interestingly, the theology that appeals greatly to me personally maintains this idea of horizontal transcendence, but also includes a concept of the divine. Process relational theology, to oversimplify a bit again, conceptualizes the divine as an ever-evolving process that is itself the sum total of every process of becoming or evolution and change throughout the entire universe. These processes of becoming include me, you, the rocks, the plants, all that is. We are all ever-changing and interconnected in ways that are beyond our normal, everyday understanding. The divine, whether as a metaphor, seen as a metaphor or an actual presence, also holds all of the creative possibilities that are available to each of us in each moment. From this worldview, then, we experience transcendence when we get a glimpse of the true depth and complexity of that interconnectedness, a sense of deep belonging that drives in us a love for all of creation and that lures us toward creative creativity, justice, and beauty. It's a pretty theology, whether you agree with it or not. That's just a few of the ways that some Unitarian Universalists have thought about these experiences. There are many, many other ways of viewing them throughout the different world religions and more recently through various psychological and neurological theories about them. So as I thought about this first of our set of values, I struggled not so much with what their source might be or what may be going on inside with this, in us with them, but instead why they seem to be of such value to us. What do they do for us? I was reading shame and vulnerability researcher Dr. Brene Brown's latest book when I had a realization about these experiences that I really, really didn't want to accept at first. That happens to me a lot with Dr. Brown's work, so she pisses me off. (laughs) And bless her for doing so. I think at least one of the things that we draw from these experiences is a greater capacity and willingness to allow our hearts to break wide open, an ability to love wholeheartedly, even though doing so will inevitably involve loss and heartbreak. A while back, it was a very cold night, so we had the fireplace going at my house. At the time, my spouse, Wayne, was suffering with the worst of some very serious, potentially life-threatening health issues. He was on the couch across from the fireplace with a blanket, sleeping. Our two ridiculously spoiled Basenji dogs had curled up on the couch beside him. It's funny how our animal friends know when we're not doing well. The dogs were 13 and 14, about as far as their life expectance goes. I sat in a chair looking at them, thinking about the thousands of years that 
humans and dogs have been gathering by a fire and how a very similar scene must be playing out across the hemisphere in that very same moment. And I had that transcendent experience, that sense of deeper connection and belonging, a sense of both self-dissolving and expanding outward toward an ultimate love and a beautiful unity. And yet it was an aching beautiful because my heart was breaking over the potential loss in my immediate, very real, everyday world. And my heart grew larger, large enough to withstand such loss, filled up with a deep understanding that I wouldn't give up one minute of the pleasure and joy and love they have brought into my life. I want you to know that Wayne is doing much, much better and that so far the pups are still going, still spoiled, and still misbehaving. If we think back to all of the examples of these experiences that I have talked about just in this sermon, they all involve the sense of our hearts breaking wide open, our folks in Housen Hall moved to tears by one another's stories, Jerome Stone's story of being offered grace by his young daughter over the loss of his own father, his story of participating in marches because the world as it was didn't live up to the world that he longed for. I think even Emerson's descriptions of experiencing transcendence through nature also involve the sense of loss because we know it is all temporary. All the life around us will eventually end and be replaced, and even the very rocks and the hillsides will eventually dissolve away and be transformed into something new. Abraham Maslow, founder of humanistic psychology, called these peak experiences, and he thought that they generate a set of values within us that are more life-giving and life-fulfilling that have to do with connection and belonging. I think he was right, and the research is starting to show that he was right. And if I'm correct that these experiences help us to break our hearts wide open so that they can grow and can love more fully, even though we will know loss, then perhaps the biggest reason we put transcendence first on our list is because the rest of the values emerge out of it. It takes courage to love wholeheartedly, knowing our hearts will be broken and yet knowing that it is still worth it. Loving wholeheartedly is the very essence of compassion. It is the heart of the empathy required to create community. Together, these make up the ultimate reason I think we gather in community. Transformation, the growth that changes our lives and heals our world. Throughout time, ritual, prayer, music, poetry, meditation, Art, singing, working together for justice, intentional silence. The things that we practice together here at this church have all been known to be capable capable of generating this state of transcendence. 
it's pretty fantastic then that we have chosen to value it so much. Hallelujah and amen. Please join me in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.